Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on September 20th, 2021 from my home studio here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a discussion about equity and infrastructure investment as Congress returns to take up trillions of dollars in spending, which faces its own set of challenges. Scott Morgan has an in-depth look at how the next generation of nurses are being trained, and Dr. Brandon Traxler gives us an update on how the state is handling the recent surge as numbers slowly tick downward. We have more information on booster shots and data from Pfizer on getting younger children its vaccine. Additionally, we want to hear your stories, so we set up a voicemail box to hear from you all about your life in these uncertain, certain times, up for debate. Let us know if you feel like they're more certain or uncertain. You can do so by leaving us a voicemail at 803-563-7169. Just leave your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on. Getting ready for, I guess it's meteorological fall, technically, but... Uh, it's getting getting cooler out there. Getting a little more fall season. Let us know what you're doing in prep for the spooky season. It's all here. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is widespread, ongoing, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 11,721 total deaths, and currently there are 830,260 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of September 20th at 4 p.m. Over the weekend, there were 109 total deaths reported. And some more data. data. We saw our second week of declining cases last week, with 27,882 cases being reported for the week ending September 18th, which was down about 3,100 cases from the week before. Deaths dropped sharply to 199 from 350 the week before, which is also in the second week of decline, though that number will likely be revised in the future. Our current percent positive rate is 10.5%. Currently, 2,414 people are hospitalized with COVID-19, 585 are in intensive care, and 434 patients are on ventilators. All those numbers are down except ventilator use, which is up a half percent. COVID missions for hospitals are down 18% from a week ago. 32 children are hospitalized with COVID-19, 10 are in intensive care, and 5 are on ventilators. And right now, 50.7% of eligible South Carolinians are fully vaccinated. Congress is back in session this week with a massive agenda for the next few weeks that includes dealing with President Joe Biden's plans to revamp and boost spending for domestic programs, passing an infrastructure bill, and raising the debt ceiling. And there is a bit of a time crunch as well, with a September 27th vote scheduled for the $1 trillion Senate-approved infrastructure bill, and the federal government needs to raise the debt ceiling by October 1st, or it won't be able to honor its debt obligations. Democrats are also pushing the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package that deals with priorities for child care, climate change, education, and housing, just to name a few. But the price tag is too high for Republicans and key Democrats like Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. On CNN this Sunday, House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn said the bill could be close to $3.5 trillion or closer to something else. He has previously called that figure the ceiling. Adding to that time crunch and the need to pass these bills is that that bill is supposed to move in tandem with the $1 trillion infrastructure package, this to appease progressive Democrats. But chances are the infrastructure bill will get voted on and then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi will hold on to it until there's a reconciliation vote. 
and then send the bill to Biden's desk for his signature. A lot of moving parts there, folks. Be glad you don't work in Congress. Now, these spending bills, along with the previous COVID relief packages, add up to billions of dollars for South Carolina, equal to multiple years worth of federal outlays in just one year. Education, for example, has seen some $3 billion come to the state through COVID bills, or about three years worth of federal dollars flow into the state coffers in just one year. Now, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act alone would send $6.1 billion to South Carolina, according to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Massive, massive amounts of money we're talking about here. And this was actually at the heart of a conversation I had last week at Furman University's Riley Institute Straight Talk Series. It was the 11th annual series, and I moderated a panel in which we discussed what transformational funding means for our state, especially underserved communities. First, you'll hear from John Simpkins. He's the president of MDC, which works with Southern leaders and communities to advance economic mobility for people on the margins through education, employment, and economic security. And Dr. Russell Booker is also in this clip. He's a former Spartanburg 7 superintendent and executive director of Spartanburg Academic Movement, and he jumps in at the end of this segment. Take a listen. Uh, it is it is the absence of debt that creates those opportunities. And all of this, these these interventions that have indicated that it's expensive to be poor because you have to pay more in time and dollars for just about everything that you access. And if you can remove that burden, mm-hmm. we're actually creating consumers. So if you want a capitalist system to work, create more consumers. And if you want to create more consumers, you have to end poverty. You have to lift people out of poverty. So what, what I think is the radical learning that has come out of this moment is that we have that within our midst and, and it's possible for us to actually create an economy that is both thriving and inclusive. Mm-hmm. Well, John, to that vein, I want to ask you just a little bit about, you know, when we look at the, the potential for this investment in communities, you're seeing some backlash from people saying, oh, you know, you're focusing on equity, you're fo- focusing on inequality, you know, this is anti-white investment, you know, they're having some issues with this. How do you respond to those kind of claims that people see this as favoring one group over another, even though we know we've been paying attention to this series that it's been a historical problem, it's systemic, and it's only been the past 56 plus years where we've seen some actual growth for the community. Uh, how do you respond to those, those claims? Do the hard work and this is true of everyone mm-hmm. within a community, do the hard work of listening, mm-hmm. of listening to your, your fellow community members. Uh, I, I believe that uh, community exists at the heart of this and strong communities create strong individuals. And, and for those people who are concerned about uh, being left out, being left behind, it, it goes to the curb cut effect that this is really about empowering everyone. And if, if, if you feel left out, take the time to listen to the stories of the people who make up your community. Understand what those individual stories mean and how they're part of a broader story. And I think that can help people to understand also why this is necessary and how it's actually gonna benefit everyone. And I think to, to that point, what, what John is saying is what we're trying to say in our community. We cannot let a national narrative drive our local work. Because if we let that national narrative get in the way, it's going to stifle us. So when we focus on our data, when I talk about life expectancy, I'm talking about in 2930 blank versus this zip code. And when our churches and our our communities and, and our organizations can see that this is home, these are the people you're in the grocery store with, 
you know, these are the people who you're worshiping with. These are the people you go to school with. I think we have a better chance of getting there. But that national narrative, whether we're talking about what we're teaching our children or you name it, we can't let that drive our work at home. Our conversation continued, and the third panelist, Angela Glover Blackwell, who is founder and residence at PolicyLink, jumped in to discuss the challenges for the potential federal funding and how to maximize the investment's impact in places that need it most. PolicyLink is very involved in this. We actually worked with the administration to um, help craft that first executive order that uh, called for doing a racial equity audit. And we have been working with the administration to understand uh, across all of the agencies how to be able to think about doing a racial equity audit and how to think about measuring progress. And we really are doubling down, hoping that the infrastructure dollars will be the first test of how to do that. Russell is certainly right when he talks about the role that philanthropy is playing right now, because philanthropy across the country, including community foundations all across the country, are understanding that they have to invest in the capacity of their local communities to make good on this promise, that we have to build the capacity for engagement, the capacity for planning, the capacity for being able to measure and hold accountable. And I see lots of those kind of efforts going forward. But what we have to do is have a commitment to no matter what dollars are spent, we are going to get racial equity outcomes. So it doesn't matter what you choose to do. It could be light rail. It could be drain water um, management. It could be broadband. It could be dealing with um, infrastructure around uh, downtown development. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You have to think about who is going to get the jobs. How is it going to be the potential for advancement? Are we putting these things in places where we're going to be able to see benefit to those who are being left behind? There is a way to make sure that every penny that's spent is a racial equity penny. That discussion was one of the three that was focused on dismantling racism, and you can find all of them on the Riley Institute's YouTube page. We know the pandemic has affected all industries and businesses, both big and small, but none really seems to compare it to how it has rippled through the medical world. With the demand for nurses, which was already high before the pandemic, stressed even further. But what about that next generation of nurses that will enter the field? Scott Morgan produced this in-depth look at how they're getting the training they need at the University of South Carolina College of Nursing's Center for Simulation and Experiential Learning. Here's Scott. Multi-purpose space, individual stations, practicing, giving injections. Crystal Murillo and I are checking out the future of nursing in South Carolina. Before us, a sea of burgundy-colored scrubs, hypodermic needles, and nervous young hands learning how to do injections on fleshy practice pads. Maybe I should say a sea of garnet-colored scrubs, since we're deep inside the University of South Carolina's College of Nursing building. Specifically, we're in one of its simulation teaching rooms. Next to Dr. Murillo and I is a lonely-looking mannequin on a hospital bed. He's not on the agenda for students today, but we're going to talk about him and a few of his friends in a couple minutes. When we do, you'll understand better why it's important to point out that he can go to the bathroom, he has a pulse, and he's African-American. First, though, 
a little explanation on what's actually going on here. Simulation at a bird's eye view is really about replicating what's happening in traditional clinical or traditional practice or a hospital setting. Dr. Murillo is the director of clinical simulation at the college, overseeing the program that puts junior and senior level nursing students in a quite close to the real thing environment. We are able to bring our students into a simulation center where they can practice where it's safe and controlled and there's no risk to an actual patient. Clinical simulation in nursing has become more important than ever with the pandemic. Andrea Nealon is a family nurse practitioner who teaches foundation nursing classes at USC. The opportunities in the hospital have become more limited with COVID. The units that are accepting students and things like that have kind of caused some issues with placing students in the hospital. So we've had to rely on clinical simulation. But outside of pandemic emergencies, this simulation environment is looking to close what Dr. Murillo calls the knowledge practice gap teaching tomorrow's nurses not just how to do mechanical skills of the profession, but also how to address glaring and costly problems in caring for human beings of all stripes by learning how to communicate. 70% of medical errors are related to breakdown in communication. Those factors like cultural differences, perspectives, norms, all of those things play a part. Which kind of brings us back to our lonely mannequin friend. He's African-American for a reason. Our labs need to be a replication of the patients. And so if we're bringing them in and they're only taking care of one particular race or ethnic group, we're perpetuating the inequities that already exist. You really need to be sure that your mannequins represent your patient population. Representation matters. And Mario says it matters to getting more diversity into the field as much as it matters to understanding who you'll be seeing in your practice. Then there's the fact that South Carolina is a largely rural state. The health of our state is poor, and it's largely due to the fact that we are a rural state. And so I have been able to acquire about a million dollars in funding to better prepare our students for that aspect of the workforce. The success of training tomorrow's nurses to serve the people who actually live in most of South Carolina can only work, of course, if the students feel like they're learning how to really meet people where they are student Dallas Bass. It's really nice having the mannequins that have all the nice features like being able to feel their pulse, being able to actually, you know, produce urine and all kinds of stuff. It makes it very similar to like a real clinical experience. Real people playing the part of patient come in to help the students too. None of them are here today, but the students are exposed to lots of different kinds of people who help teach students how to talk with and of course listen to people from various walks of life. Thanks, Scott. You can find that reporting and more at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. I'm going to start our medical section with a familiar voice that you hear on this podcast. I spoke with DHEC Director of Public Health, Dr. Brandon Traxler, on This Week in South Carolina last Friday about what hospitals are seeing when it comes to this now somewhat slowing surge due to the Delta variant and some of the misinformation out there that still permeates the discussion about vaccines. Here's Dr. Traxler. So certainly our hospitals are, um, are feeling 
the impact of these high numbers of COVID-19 cases. They are seeing high numbers of hospitalizations. Um, however, we are not at the point um, yet. We are not implementing crisis standards of care. Um, however, we we would be prepared statewide if, if we were to get to that, but I hope very much that we never do. Um, we are still seeing um, some bed availability, depending on the hospital um, in the state. Um, we hear reports of hospitals at times that have patients waiting in the emergency department. Um, and so that's one thing to remind folks that um, if you are hospitalized for COVID-19 and the majority of people being hospitalized are still unvaccinated, um, you are, you know, they're taking the care, the resources, the time that other people who have emergencies might need also. Mm -hmm. So we haven't really had too many reports of those. I mean, you hear about that man in Alabama who was trying to find a hospital for cardiac care and ended up dying. Have we had any reports of that that you can speak to? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Gotcha. But we did have a grim day this week with DHEC reporting about 138 deaths in one day. Obviously, some of those were retroactive, but still a very large number for one day of reporting. Uh, I looked back at the 2019-2020 flu season data, and we had about 140 deaths just from that one whole season, uh, a whole season right there, and we had that reported in one day in South Carolina. Give us some perspective about that, especially when people continue to kind of compare this to the flu when it's very obvious that it's not. I think that the comparison that you just did is a perfect example. Uh, we, we saw for an entire flu season, for basically an entire year, the same number of deaths related to flu as we saw in reported in one day for COVID-19. Um, yesterday, we hit a grim milestone nationwide with uh, one in 500 Americans, you know, um, being impacted by COVID-19 um, and dying of it. And so that is that is staggering. That's a lot of lost lives, unfortunately. And I'm guessing you're also a little worried about the upcoming flu season as well. Com you know, compared to last year, too, when it was basically just non-existent because we were, you know, masking. There was a lot more social distancing going on. Now you have Delta. Now you have, you know, kids back in schools without masks because they can't enforce a mask mandate. Uh, how worried are you about this upcoming flu season? I'm concerned. I really want to stress to everyone that just like we said last year, it is so important to get your flu shot this year. Um, get your COVID vaccination, get your flu vaccination. You can get them both at the same time. Um, so it's in the early days of the COVID vaccines, they weren't sure if it was safe to give another immunization at the same time. They would tell you to space them by a couple of weeks apart. Now we know you can get the flu shot in one arm and your COVID shot in the other arm. So um, these folks, you know, we know, as you said, we had 140 die uh, two years ago during the flu season. We have many more than that even hospitalized due to the flu. Our hospital systems are already getting stretched, you know, close to the maximum. And so if we have a lot of flu-related hospitalizations, that's even even more stretch on the hospitals, even more burden. Mm -hmm. uh, a worrisome thing to consider as we approach flu season. And vaccination rates, like you said, we're approaching 50%. Have you seen any uptick in, in the trends and the rates for those vaccination numbers? Uh, you know, there's been different announcements from the administration and, and other requirements happening, but have we seen any su substantiated uptick in these numbers? We have seen an increase. Um, we have seen, I think, roughly almost uh, twice as many people vaccinated in August as in July. Um, however, the numbers are still very low, the actual raw numbers. Um, I still wish that um, we were seeing that that increase in rate, but with much higher magnitude of, of numbers. 
So I really want to stress to everyone to please get vaccinated. This is the best, safest way to prevent yourself and those around you from getting seriously sick. And Dr. Traxer, what's the biggest myth or the biggest issue that you guys are running into with folks when it comes to vaccines? I mean, there's a lot of hesitancy out there, but there's also a lot of misinformation and you know, complete misunderstanding about this, uh, this, these vaccines, especially the Pfizer vaccine, which has full FDA approval. What, what are you guys running into out there? Sure. So I think the one that I hear the most is people saying that it is not really a vaccine and that it is not effective because you can still have breakthrough cases. Um, and we know that um, that these vaccines were designed primarily to prevent serious illness. So they were designed to prevent the hospitalizations and the deaths. Uh, and so we know that breakthrough cases are going to occur, unfortunately, but thankfully the vast majority of them are very mild at worst moderate um, levels of disease. And so, and even, even for that, the rates of people who are fully vaccinated, who are developing breakthrough infections is still very low. Mm -hmm. um, I think in our state, we're looking certainly at less than 1% of people who are fully vaccinated who have had a breakthrough infection. I think more like one third of 1%. Always important information from one of the most trusted sources in our state. You can find that entire interview on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. Moving on, the New York Times reported that the Food and Drug Administration is likely to authorize Pfizer booster shots this week for many Americans at high risk of falling seriously ill from the coronavirus. On Friday, we talked about this, you might remember, a panel of experts endorsed offering Pfizer booster shots for ages 65 and older and people 16 and over who are at high risk of getting severe COVID-19 or who work in settings that make them more likely to get infected. The agency, which often follows the committee's advice but is not required to, is expected to decide early this week. So you'll probably see that news coming up before our next podcast. An advisory committee for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is scheduled to meet Wednesday and Thursday to discuss booster shots before that agency, which sets vaccine policy, issues its recommendations. And on the way out, some more vaccine news. Pfizer-BioNTech announced results from a Phase 2-3 trial showing a favorable safety profile and robust neutralizing antibody responses in children 5 to 11 years of age using a two-dose regimen of its vaccine, but a dosage that is a third smaller than the dosage used for people 12 and older. The antibody response for the smaller dose for younger children was comparable to those recorded in a previous Pfizer-BioNTech study in people 16 to 25 years of age. Now, the companies expect to include that data in a near-term submission for emergency use authorization as they continue to accumulate the safety and efficacy data required to file for full FDA approval in this age group. So some encouraging news out there for parents, teachers, everyone who has to deal with young kids. Good news on the horizon. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. Tell us what's going on with you. It's football season. People are winning. People are losing. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the numbers are going down a little bit. We've been talking about that too. So that's encouraging. Uh, if maybe you're one of those parents that have to do double duty again and you're teaching back at home or Ugh. you're working from home. Things yep. are very fluid right now, so let us know how they are with you at 803-563-7169. Uh, AT, we have a voicemail, I've been told. We've gotten a few voicemails now. We okay. got we got some long ones in there, so we're going to save the longer ones for uh, like shorter episodes. And, okay. and uh, so yeah. if you feel like you're getting skipped over, 
Don't 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 worry about that. Just keep but calling. also just in keep the last, calling. just keep calling, leaving the same voice message. <laughs> um, but in the last episode, we talked about, hey, we want to be an outlet. If you're stressed, call in. Yes. And I also said that uh, you're doing me a favor if you ask me to to pitch your voice or, or bleep a bleep a curse or something like that because something. that's that's really mm, I love that. Yeah, and, a little uh, human. You know, yeah, real. Uh, we we had someone who who. Uh, Really listened to the assignment, really mm. completed the assignment, and mm-hmm. uh, called in. And so, when you do that, you get to jump the line a little bit oh. too. So, uh, <laughs> here we go. He's basement boy number two, uh, AT to throw you a bone. Please pitch my voice down. I have what should be a lot of fun things coming up on the horizon. Uh, I'm, I'm playing bass in a couple bands right now that have gotten back to being very active and have a lot of uh, cool, fun shows coming up, uh, you know, in, in Columbia and across the Southeast. But um, the recent surge of the Delta variant has me feeling really concerned about going and performing. Uh, uh, the grand majority of these are taking place at indoor clubs. Uh, very few of them in South Carolina in particular are requiring proof of vaccination. Uh, for patrons and or performers, um, shout out to New Brooklyn Tavern in West Columbia for uh, requiring that of their guests. Um, it, it does make me feel a little bit safer to, to play at a place that, that has that in place. But even with the mask mandates uh, in our area, um, they're going to be nearly impossible to enforce on a large crowd. Um, so I'm, you know, toy- I don't sing in these bands. So I'm toying with the you know, idea of just wearing my mask on stage, not the coolest look ever, but, you know, you know, strapped up with an N95, I'm safer than I am without it. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of been on my mind over the last week. Hope y'all are well. Enjoy the pod as always. Bye. Cam, thanks for calling. I know AT was very excited to get to do this little assignment as well. <laughs> not to begrudge or, you know, look down upon anyone else that has something super important to say, then, which we might need to blur their voice a little bit, but, um, yeah, no. I love that there's some fun things on the horizon, but hate that it's corresponding with the surge, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I feel like he could wear a really cool mask on stage, something like you know, with a, a fun print, he, something pretty metal like that. He'll look like he'll look like a ninja holding the hold the low end down. Yeah, yeah like and remember you got me that mask, which I haven't worn that often because I just it's just so it's um, off putting. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's the face of Jack Nicholson from The Shining. Yeah, it's a lot. I I need to figure out a way to wear that. Maybe I'll wear it to work since we will be working in the office and we should be wearing masks in the office, but, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't mostly cause it's so spaced out already. And I, I probably should. Um, but I, I agree with what you're talking about cam because it is a little weird, but it is nice to know that people will be vaccinated when you're in a place. Like I said, when I flew back from, from Europe, like knowing that everyone on, on the flight had to have a negative COVID test, obviously yeah. it's just a moment in time and it people can still be infected. A little it's bit. still, yeah, you know, you still wearing masks, mm-hmm. but you still feel a little bit better about that. Just a shout out for my basement boy too, Cam, uh, his bands, he's in Deer Blanca and Stagbriar. They're, diff- they're really good. You guys should go check them out. Um, I love them. And I, I, I feel, I feel him on those shows because I had tickets that I bought to see my favorite band between mm-hmm. the buried and me. Uh, in Charlotte, and I bought it before the pandemic started. Yeah. And so it got delayed a year, and then it just happened last week. It was Thursday night, and I, I didn't go because mm. I, wa- I waited two years for it, but they had nothing. They, they weren't checking anything. 
that you oh, could just wow. show up and go in and yeah i i just i didn't want to go deal with that you know like i i didn't want to go to a show and feel uncomfortable the whole time You're not you know it. And so, yeah yeah I, I was really bummed about that you know but um i still love them but yes yeah, stag briar dear blanca you guys check it out they're they're actually really really good uh, you recently um received a uh, a sword if I'm saying this correctly, a sword for payment, AT, just to keep with some some metal themes here. Uh, yeah, I was going to say a better transition here. Uh, you can speaking do it if you about want to. music here, speaking about music here, uh, I've been giving. Uh, I went to college for guitar. If if you didn't know, um, can we put like a riff in there. Uh, yeah, we can put a fat riff in there. Uh, but uh, so I went to college for guitar, and I've been uh, giving one of my friends guitar lessons recently, just like messing around, just trying to hone his chops get mm -hmm. get his get his speed up okay and uh he also knows that i mean and if you're a listener here you know that i'm obsessed with lord of the rings and um he goes so uh at you're not making me pay for any of these do I got this sword at home. Do you want it? <laughs> and I was like absolutely I want it. And he goes it might be Lord of the Rings. I said I can only get so excited here, okay? I yes. said yes to the sword. It's fine. I'll take the sword. <laughs> and so, uh our next lesson which was uh 2 weeks ago, he shows up and boy does this guy ever have a sword. I mean, not just any sword. We're talking glamdring, okay? We're talking the faux hammer. We're talking beater. This is Gandalf's sword, okay? Wow. Yeah. He found it with, uh, he found it in the Hobbit after he saw these trolls, Gavin. I know you love when I do this, but so he shows up and I'm obviously geeking out, okay? I'm losing my mind. I'm like, this isn't just a sword, okay? This yeah. is Glamdring, okay? Okay. All right. So, uh, that's good and fine. Caitlin comes home and <laughs> she was not a prize to any of this. She just shows up and I have a four foot sword. Of course. <laughs> and it's a real sword. Like you could you could protect the home with this. You could stab and kill with it. <laughs> you will protect the home you with will. this. You will. I sleep with it under my pillow. Uh, but actually. <laughs> so comfortable, four feet. Speaking about it in the bedroom. I mean, they take it from the boardroom to the bedroom, okay? Oh but uh <laughs> Caitlin, she was, this is where uh, it's funny. Uh, Caitlin, she dropped something at, when we were going to bed. She dropped something under the bed and could not reach it. And she's looking around the bedroom to find something to reach it. And there's nothing long enough. So she goes, I'll be right back. And she walks out of the room and comes back with the four foot sword. She comes back with glam drink. I was like, hey, be careful. Elves made that. Okay. <laughs> Just reach she, under the pillow, babe. There's the sword. Pulled, she pulled her, her like pill thing from under the bed with his sword. Hold on. I'll find the picture for you. It's really funny. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's what a, a great size photo of your wife. Sword. It's yeah. almost taller oh, than yeah. she is. <laughs> it's a huge sword. But that that's my sword story. So Are uh, you going to um I think also I can maybe questions? see some reasons yeah, why questions? questions, please, questions. Questions? Yes, uh right here in the front row. Yes, you with yes, the long red yeah, hair. Sir. <laughs> yeah, I have a question. Uh, get really specific. Is she worried? that you're going to become a sword person, i.e. Mm. be going frequently truck stops or any sort of novelty shops where these swords are on display. That's so a good behind question. glass cases. This and is a good you'll question. start spending family money on uh, just building the collection. Uh, an arsenal, if you will. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's a good question because, I mean, I, I have been known to covet other Lord of the Rings swords. I really would like Narsil. Uh, okay. I would love Orcrest, let's all not, these things. Let's like, stop saying these words. So, But I think what she's she's most scared of 
is that I'm going to hang the sword on the wall. Yeah, I was, that was my second question. <laughs> is it going to go I, over the hearth? <laughs> I, that's, I think, is what she's most nervous about, <laughs> is that I'm going to hang it on the wall for, for people to see. Here we go. Here's a question for our listeners. What's worse, hanging a sword over your fireplace or a flat screen TV? Trick I question. Hate a, it's I both. hate the TV. I hate the TV over the over what the. What about both though? With the sword above the TV. Oh, that's a family heirloom. We got that from Middle Earth. If I start, yeah, that's straight from Middle Earth, baby. Okay. Did I say that right? Yeah, you nailed it, dude. You you know you're 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 just hustling me. One day you're gonna kill me in Lord of the Rings trivia. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, if I start becoming a sword guy I'll and getting you. like armaments, I might have to get a ferret and a snake, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you really can't do one without the other. <laughs> so uh, yeah. if anyone's listening and they have a favorite weapon from Lord of the Rings, uh, just call in and let me know because yeah. I would gladly talk about it and Gavin hates it. So uh, please uh, call this, in. It's beautiful, you know, to have uh, something that you, that you love and treasure now in the home, but you definitely need to display it. I mean, that's that's an accent. That's a statement piece, I should say. I already have a Lord of the Rings wall. Okay. You know, I mean, Shire last name, Shire Lord of the Rings. Caitlin's about it a little bit, um, mm. but uh, yeah, truly, I love it. So, Colin, Gavin, hit him with the dang old number. All right, folks. Well, let us know about your um, your Middle Earth weapons collections as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any in my home, but maybe one, once AT starts collecting, I'll start getting one or two here and there as Christmas off, presents. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, another weapon for Christmas. Thank you. Let <laughs> us know about uh, presents you've received, things you've bartered for, 803-563-7169. You can also leave us a review on iTunes, and uh, we appreciate all those, of course. You can also stay up to date with the latest news at SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Speak friend and enter, South Carolina. I like the solstices. None of this halfway stuff. Full solstice or nothing. I am a solstice guy, okay?